Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. So I have some excellent news to share. Um, yeah. The mortgage is paid. No, it's not that good. <laughs> you haven't been that generous. All right. <laughs> I want to introduce to you this morning our new assistant minister, Reverend uh, Millie Forsberg. Millie, would you come up uh, just so they get to know who you are? So I get to teach at uh, Holmes Institute, which is our seminary. It's called something else on something, School of Leadership, right? Spiritual School Spiritual of Leadership. Spiritual School of Leadership now. And um, so I always sort of watch which students do really well and which ones I think would be stars. And so you're, you get to meet one of them here. And I've kept my eye on her the whole time. So we grabbed her right up and we are thrilled. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, tell them a little bit about what your, what your profession has been. So my profession has been that of a registered nurse, and I've done that for 35 years. And I received the calling to the ministry long ago. Um, I was in the Pentecostal church, and I don't know if any of you know about that, but it's okay. We can talk about that. <laughs> it's another sermon. So anyway, um, so I was called, but I could not throw anyone in hell. So I didn't answer the call until eight years, until 2008. And one thing led to another, and here I am. And I'm really pleased to be here and serve this community and to serve with Reverend Norm, because from the time I met him, I thought that this is a man I can really learn from and be mentored by and really be all that I can be. Yeah. So that's... That's my end. What else? Awesome. That's it. You're going to be, uh, she'll start September 1st, so she'll come on with us, and uh, we're just really, really thrilled to have her here, and I've been waiting a long time for assistant minister, so it's good. Uh, she'll be speaking once a month, so you'll get to hear her. She's a great speaker, so um, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Actually, you'll be, uh, you'll be speaking next Sunday, so you'll get to hear her next Sunday on her, on her display, so please welcome me there. All right, so our topic today, we've been doing a travel series this entire month, and our topic today is are you ready and checked in, are you checked in and ready to go? So you met Millie already. So I love this, it says, after seven hours of waiting through heightened airport security, Larry faced the final one challenge. Your boarding pass, please. <laughs> It is amazing when you travel these days, the, the challenges that are really there and the stuff that we bring with us. I remember being in line behind a gentleman who I met. Uh, I was in Nebraska and I was flying home after teaching with certified senior advisors. And he, um, wonderful, wonderful man, had a beautiful white cloth and he had a turban around his head. And we got talking in the line and I said, um, he, he, he said to me, well, you probably should go before me. And I said, well, he goes, just take a look at me. He said, they're going to frisk me. They're going to do all this dynamic. So he said, but, but I've got a secret. And I said, what's the secret? He goes, it stops immediately because I wear no underwear. 
And so, so he said, go ahead, get in front of me. So I got in front of him. I went through security with no problem. He goes in. He has absolutely nothing on him. What do you think they do? They haul him out and they start. They start the frisking thing. And as they're frisking him, it gets to the point and he's looking at me with a big smile on his face. <laughs> and they get there and he's like, whoa. <laughs> and they said, go ahead. Just go, go ahead. Amazing. I want to introduce you too to one of my faculty members, Beanna Whitlock. Um, one of our congregants actually knows Beanna, uh, which is interesting. But Beanna Whitlock was, uh, so there was the tax commissioner of the United States in DC. She was the next person down and she used to teach on our faculty. Bianna is from Texas and uh, she is funny. She's about four foot six and she's a pistol. And because she used to travel with us a lot, we shared a lot of travel stories. And I never forget the story she tells. She said, you know what I do when I go to security? I put little metal objects in places my husband's not willing to touch. <laughs> And I just have them go for it. That's Beanna Whitlock. What are you taking through security? And what I mean by that is, what are you taking through the process that causes you not to feel secure? That causes you not to really go on the trip you really want to go on? And so today, we're not going to strip search you, but I'm going to ask you to look at a concept of letting go of the insecurities that you and I have to really live the dream and the trip of a lifetime. Because we have all been given one life, and that life is God's life. And that God life is expressing through you and I in the most powerful way if we would allow it. We can have a trip of a lifetime if we're willing to have it as well. So this morning, what is holding you back from that trip of a lifetime? What is holding you back from really saying yes to life, to yes to fulfillment? So if you look at Reverend Millie, took her 38 years to say yes. Is it 38? Yeah, about that. But so many of us hold back. We just hold back from really living fully. We hold back from saying the I love yous. We hold back from not reaching out. We live in fear. We oftentimes are living in our own insecurities in life. And in the midst of that, Spirit is asking us a very simple question. Why are you holding back? Why are you not living fully? Why are you not reaching out? So I have three areas that I want to look at this morning that oftentimes are the cause or the source for not really saying a full yes. The first is letting go of insecurity. So many folks are insecure. Insecure about what you think you are. Insecure about your body. Insecure about all different sorts of dynamics. Insecure in your workplaces. And so we're going to look at why insecurity plays such a huge role in that. Secondly, my question is, I don't know what you're saving yourself for. I don't. I don't know why you're saving yourself. Why is it that you are not fully expressing who you are, being fully who you are, that there is no somewhere out there waiting for us to fully express? There is only this present moment, this powerful moment that you and I live in. And last but not least, if we would let go and take the trip of a lifetime, it would be an amazing adventure. But so often we're not willing to let go and really be free in doing that. Am I good enough? Read a wonderful 
part of a blog this week about insecurity, and I think it's really well done. It's written by Stephen Hayes, who is a psychology professor at the University of North Nevada, and he wrote the following thing. He said, there's a little more distress in our day-to-day life than our own insecurities. Like a pebble in a shoe, it wears on us every single day. Every passing of minor, of a mirror, reminds us of the imperfections of our body, and the media reminds us of it as well. How your nose doesn't look like it's supposed to, or how your stomach is becoming too big. And every conversation with a coworker is a reminder that you are not as confident or as charming as you wish you could be. Every time you see a mother pushing her stroller, you get reminded of your inability to conceive children. And every time you see a gleeful teenager, you get reminded of how you are not as young as you used to be. The truth is we can feel insecure about almost anything. But no matter what the object of our insecurity is, the underlying message is always the same. On some level, we believe that we are not good enough. Our insecurity is a constant reminder that we are lacking in a fundamental way, that somehow we are inferior and therefore unworthy or undeserving of love or connection. It's no longer about the extra weight we've gained or about the job we've lost. Instead, it's about the implication that this one flaw makes us fundamentally unlovable. Such is the same with all types of insecurity. You're not earning as much as you should be. You're not as smart, thin, tall, athletic as you should be. You don't have a degree. You're not married. Or you don't have children. Or you didn't have a protected, happy childhood. The insecurity permeates itself in everything that we look at. And all of these challenges can be taken as indicators that we are somehow separate from others, not connected, inferior, and therefore not good enough for love and companionship. And even though the object of our insecurity might look insignificant or even invisible to the clueless outsider, it feels as if the world is shining a spotlight on our flaws or our shortcoming. The problem with insecurity is that we try to hide it. Nobody likes getting reminded that we are unfit for love. So we start avoiding it in any chance we get, and we feel even more insecure. We wear hats to hide our baldness. I don't or put extra amounts of makeup on. We avoid talking to people who are more attractive or confident or successful than we are. In fact, we might even avoid any social contact at all. We procrastinate on our work because it might show us that we are not cut out for it. Or we might even buy into our insecurities and attempt to drown our feelings of sorrow and hopelessness with alcohol or medication. There are many ways to deal with insecurity. Yet most of us are more destructive than helpful. Most strategies lead us deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole of our insecurity, making us more miserable and hopeless in the process. If we wish to overcome our insecurity to the point where it no longer affects us, we need to change our approach. And it all starts by expanding our understanding why we feel so insecure. Number one reason is that we focus on the negative. The first reason of why we often are insecure can be found our evolutionary past. The environment of our ancestors was inherently dangerous and flaunting presenting dangerous obstacles. Naturally, the ability to predict and prepare for danger was useful, but now we have carried it through to us. Nowadays, our environments have changed and we have to face a very different challenge. 
However, we inherit the same mind that tends to focus on the negative instead of opening on the positive. We focus on danger and less than. Secondly, we focus on social comparison. The second reason for our insecurities is also found in our evolutionary history. Our ancestors lived in small tribes where the support of the group was critical to the individual's survival. Without a group, death was inevitable. As a result, our ancestors became sensitive to following social rules, meaning that those who could not follow the rules quickly found themselves excluded and had a fear of dying. Nowadays, social rejection is no longer a fatal threat, yet we operate as if it is. We still constantly compare ourselves to others, aiming to measure up, which of course we never do. The third reason is contemporary culture. The third reason why large portions of the public struggle with insecurity is found in today's culture. There's not much of people who are willing to do the order to achieve a higher social rank. And marketing experts are very much aware of this. You have to have the right type of perfume to smell desirable for a potential partner. You have to have the most expensive car, watch, suit, or shoes in order to show how important you are. You need to have a social media profile filled with pictures from the dream beach in Hawaii so that everyone else knows how exciting your life is. These and many more reasons cause this cultural awareness of being insecure. As I watch people's Facebook profile and all the fake smiles and all the big social thing, I wonder what real life is going on there. That we have to overextend that which we are doing. Insecurity. It's a powerful source in our life. Yet you and I were created in the image of God, which has no insecurity, which is why it feels so awful. Because our natural stance in life is to feel secure, to know that everything will be all right. And so this morning, I thought it might be good for us to look at some ways that we might look at overcoming insecurity. The first one is so many people struggle with their sense of self-worth. And just being aware of the underlying mechanism that facilitates your insecurity already helps alleviate it. You need to know that in a room full of people who look beautiful, the common denominator in all of us is we don't actually believe it. So we're all pretending to be something that we're not. And the bottom line is, if we would let go of that, the outgift would be security. We would stop the comparison in that process. Secondly, we need to change the relationship with our insecurity to the point that we can find an end to the struggle. We have to make a conscious effort to understand that we are not built to be insecure, that we are built to be secure, to stand in a place of power. And it all starts with one simple realization. Your mind might bombard you with negative thoughts and pull you into self-defeating behaviors. Nonetheless, your mind is not your enemy. The habits of your mind are ultimately artifacts of our evolutionary past. And with these exact habits, they help our ancestors stay safe and also stave to be able to live fully. Your brain is not invested in your insecurity. Your brain is invested to get the emotion that you are calling forth and give you an experience of it. 
So to call forth a different emotion, the brain must comply. Why that's very important is when you are feeling insecure, it is you are calling forth an experience based on a bias that we have created in our own minds. And yet we have the power to turn it like this because we could call in security. We could call in I am enough. We could call in beauty and the brain must adhere because the brain's purpose is to give you the experience of the emotion that you are feeling. We are so powerful if we would take hold of this dynamic. Nowadays, these habits are no longer useful, yet our mind can't help but performing them anyway because they call in our history. What if we didn't have to call in our history? What if we could stand in a place of divine security knowing that we were created in perfection, knowing that we were created to step forth and be powerful? So wherever you get caught in a struggle with yourself, remember, your mind is actually on your side and it's trying to help you no matter unhelpful it really is. Use your brain. There was a reason why our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, said, change your thinking. Change your life. Because the brain is a vehicle that absolutely gives us the power to change our mind, to change our feelings, and to change our thoughts. Nothing holds us back more in life than our own insecurities. And most of them are made up. Most people are too busy doing this. Locate your belly button. Y'all have one. Some of you, it's over the hill. It's okay. <laughs> Most people are focused here, not on you. And yet we create a whole orchestra of insecurity thinking that they and them are projecting stuff on us. And I'm here to tell you, the very first rule is most people are obsessed with their own thinking. You don't walk into a room and start obsessing about someone else. You walk into a room and obsess about yourself. So the first rule is, no one is judging you but who? So choose a different judge. Shut the sucker up and get a new one. Get somebody in your brain that realizes the potential of who you really are. And that what is holding you back in life is simply a story that we are telling. Because when you start seeing your worth, you'll find it's harder to stay around people who don't you'll begin to attract that in life which allows us to be secure and to move forward. Beauty is about accepting yourself for who you are. It's about feeling secure about yourself. It's about feeling so blessed every day that we are given the chance to live. All those beautiful feeling and positive energies are inside of you. Now, that's what makes you beautiful. Now that is within you is what is making happening. Our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, has a wonderful quote, which I absolutely love. He said, for our dreamers, for our dreams are nothing but mental patterns that can lead us to a fuller and richer life or can create a phantom monster that makes our lives a nightmare, whether we are asleep or awake. Every person is the dreamer of his own dreams. And within each is the spiritual power to choose the pattern that they wish to experience in life. So I had an experience last year with a nurse when I was going through chemo. And it happened to be one of my later chemos and I was getting ready to go to a trip uh, to Brazil with John of God. 
And until I learned how to, to work the system, I used to have to go, before the Sunday service, I used to have to go have them take my pump out. And so, unfortunately, I was at the airport. I was going to be at the airport to fly off to John of God, so I couldn't go get my port taken out. So my doctor, my oncologist, Dr. Matei, said, no problem, we'll teach you how to take it out yourself. So she said, just when, when they do it this next time, you're going to need to pay attention. Well, the head nurse didn't like that. She lectured me about how that wasn't going to happen, and I was going to show up and get the money. And I said, no, Dr. Matei said, I can learn this. And, and I had a, a congregant who was with me, and she was going to film it on my phone. And so we also had a nurse on the trip that was going to help me do it. And she's sitting right there. Raise your hand. So she was going to help me take it out right there at the airport. So, so anyway, this nurse was really mad. And she went in and she said, well, Dr. Matei is not in charge of everything. And so I thought, ooh. So I said, well, you go talk to Dr. Matei. So she went and talked to Dr. Matei. And she came out. And she goes, we're going to let you do it this time. But you have to sign a form that's going to give you full liability. If something happens and you bleed to death, this is your fault. And I'm like... I said, bring it on, baby, bring on the form. <laughs> so anyway, so we get to the airport and we, <laughs> there was no place to, we took it out right in the middle of the lobby and it came out and we put a Band-Aid on, on I went. So, so much for bleeding to death. Well, anyway, I went to get my pump taken off, uh, not this Friday, the previous chemo, and uh, that nurse comes out to get me and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> Here she comes. And so I had a whole story around her, and I felt, every time I got nearer, I felt, I felt insecure, and I felt she was out to get me, and I felt she had put a target on my head, and I made up all kinds of crap. So she comes and gets me, and she says, how are you today? And I said, well, I'm feeling lightheaded. And she, so she brings me back and sits me down, and she said, I owe you a huge apology. She said, a year and a half ago, I was terrible to you. And what I want you to know is it had nothing to do with you. I was going through my own cancer. And I was really struggling. And I had no control in my life except that which I could control at work. And I owe you a huge apology, and I'm wondering if you can accept my apology. I said, absolutely. And then for the next 15 minutes, we had the most incredible, engaging conversation about gardens, about life, about, and she doesn't live far from us in Monument. This whole, this whole new avenue opened up. So the reason I tell you that is when insecurity gets in the room, it creates this entire story that is not true. Now granted, her behavior was interesting, but understandable. It really was able, I was able to see and hear in a different way. My friends, we are constantly making up stories in our heads about why we can't do what we should do, why we can't move forward in life, why we can't forgive somebody, why, and the list goes on and on and on. And meanwhile, life, the trip of life is waiting. But we're stuck in some parking lot in our brain and we are so insecure about changing our thought and yet it is available to us to do, to shift in a moment and shift in a different thought. Love yourself first, and everything else will fall into place. You really do have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. If you do not love yourself, you cannot do it. It is the basic of all covenants, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
You cannot give to the neighbor if you do not have it first. I'm inviting you this morning to understand your insecurity has been made up. Make up a new one. Choose security. The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs your life. Eckhart Tolle. If you were able to believe in Santa Claus for eight years, you can believe in yourself for like five minutes. <laughs> can you not? Can you at least try this morning for five frickin' minutes to see if you could believe in yourself? Because you believe in a lot of other crap. You deserve better. You deserve the power to really believe in who you are. Secondly, what are you saving yourself for and why are you holding back from your trip? It's a powerful lesson that this woman learned. My brother-in-law opened the bottom drawer of my sister's bureau and lifted out tissue paper wrapped package. This, he said, is not a slip, it's lingerie. He discarded the tissue and handed me the slip. It was exquisite. Silk, handmade and trimmed in a beautiful cobweb of lace. The price tag was an astronomical figure and it was still attached. The gentleman continued, Jan bought this for the first time we went to New York at least eight or nine years ago and she never wore it. She was saving it for a special occasion. Well, I guess this is the occasion. He took the slip from me and put it on the bed with the other clothes we were taking to the mortician. His hands lingered on the soft material for a moment, and then he slammed the drawer shut and turned to me. Don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day, your life is the special occasion. I remembered those words throughout the funeral and the days that followed when I helped him and my niece attend all the sad chores that result from an unexpected death. I thought about them on the plane returning home to California from the Midwestern town where my sister's family lives. I thought about it, all the things that she hadn't seen, heard, or done. I thought about the things that she had done without realizing they were special. I'm still thinking about his words and they've changed my life. I'm reading more and dusting less. I'm sitting on the deck and admiring the view without fussing about the weeds in the garden. I'm spending more time with my family and friends and less time in committee meetings. <laughs> Wherever possible, life shouldn't be a pattern of experiences to savor, not endure. I'm trying to recognize these moments now and cherish them. I'm not saving anymore. We used our good china and crystal to have hamburgers on the other night. I wear my good blazer to the market when I feel like it. My theory is if I look prosperous, I can shell out $28.49 for a small bag of groceries without wincing. I'm not saving my good perfume for special parties. Clerks in the hardware stores and tellers in the bank have noses that function as well as party-goer friends. Someday, in one of these days, after losing their grip on my vocabulary, if it's worth seeing or hearing or doing, I want to see it, hear it, feel it, and do it. I'm not sure what my sister would have done had she known she wouldn't be here for tomorrow that we all take for granted. I think she would have called family members and a few close friends. She might have called a few former friends to apologize and mend fences for the squabbles. 
I'd like to think she would have gone out for a Chinese dinner. I'm guessing, but I'll never know. If those little things left undone that would make me angry if I knew that my hours were limited, would I do them? Angry because I put off seeing good friends of whom I'm going to get to touch, in touch with someday. Angry because I hadn't written certain letters that I intended to write one of these days. Angry and sorrow that I didn't tell my husband and my daughter often enough how much I truly love them. I'm trying very hard not to put off and hold back anything or save anything, but rather add laughter and luster to my life. And every morning when I open my eyes, I tell myself that it is special. Every day, every minute, every breath truly is a gift from God. What's in your drawer that you're saving? What's in your emotional drawer that you are saving? What's in your excuse drawer in your bureau that you are savoring for some day? There is no some day. There is today. That is the trip of a lifetime is today. I'm guilty of that story as well and I remember being able to afford eternity cologne for the very first time in my life. And I savored it for only special occasions. And the first funeral I got to do as a Catholic priest was my mother's. And being a good Catholic boy, I was kneeling at her casket saying a prayer. And the thought came to me, which I'm sure was my mother's, that said, wear the eternity. Scott will tell you I wear eternity every single day. Don comes in on Sundays and always gives me a hug and says, you always smell so good. <laughs> what are you saving it for? There is no savings account up there in the sky that is worth not living the life you've been called to live. To step into the power of who you are. If it takes a health prognosis to get you to wake up, then so be it. If it takes some painful situation that will wake you up to make you realize that you have a power called now. Because the only person who is truly holding you back is you. No more excuses. It's time to change. It's time to live the life at a new level. You sometimes lose by taking risks, but you always lose by holding back. You always lose by not risking and moving and doing it. Because it's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. That's the power that's running the life, based on the brain and the historical perspective we look at. But if you make your life a masterpiece, imagine no limitations on what you can be or have or do, you are living the life and the dream of a lifetime. Brian Tracy. Life is short, so don't hold back. Forgive like you have amnesia. Believe like you're a kid, love like crazy, and simply be yourself. I love the amnesia part. There's a thing called chemo brain, which is really true. <laughs> chemo brain is uh, an effect that um, causes you to, to have hot, tough recall. So I'm always amazed, because I had chemo on Wednesday, so I'm always amazed when I speak on Sunday, because I just say to God, okay, you, you gotta get rid of the chemo brain. You gotta step into what you're doing, and it does. What we fear of doing the most is usually what we need to do the most.
That which we are holding back from is the very challenge that we're called to live into. Now, if we can be secure and we cannot hold back, then the very next step to having the lifetime dream of living this powerful trip we called life is to let go and actually take the trip. To actually go forward in the step. And I found a woman who's doing it. On her 95th birthday, my fiancé introduced me to his grandmother, Gladys Atwood. Her eyes twinkled as I pulled up a chair to sit beside her, just as one of her three daughters prepared a video for us to enjoy. Helen explained that the video was a complication of three television commercials that Gladys started in a year before for a local car wash. Larry Dow, the owner of Wash and Well Car Wash, had telephoned the minimal care facility where Gladys resided to see if there was a spunky old lady there with charisma to pull off what he had in mind. Marge Siegfried, co-manager at the Royal Oaks Retirement Home, didn't think twice. They had just the perfect person. Gladys. Just give me the words, Sonny, she said as she pulled up to the attendant. Out of the car, she raced around her car and the film was accelerating, kicking the tires and tapping the attendant as they scrubbed and buffed and shined. And at the end, she exclaimed, well, I'm sure glad you gave, boys, you gave those boys good work. And she smiled and winked at the one of the television and everybody fell in love with her. Once the crowd of the family members around us thinned, and the flood of compliments slowed, I found myself listening intently to Gladys. A breast cancer survivor, she was active in the American Cancer Society's local cancer support group. You know, the young people that have cancer, if they can see me, they can understand that they don't have to die. I'm 95 and I'm still kicking. Our conversation continued and soon she shared her thoughts on the latest happenings in politics and the world affairs. I was taken aback with the acute sharpness of this former champion college baseball player and teacher's mind whose knowledge was complex through processes of current affairs that put me to shame. It wasn't long before I was left far behind looking in awe. Partly in an effort to save myself and partly because I was so amazed, I asked her, tell me, Grandma, how did you ever manage to grow so old and yet stay so long? Gladys leaned with her warm, wrinkled face close into mine, her gray eyes shining behind her metal frame glasses. I'll tell you, Diane, a long time ago, a nurse told me that if you laugh a lot, you're going to live a lot longer, and that if you live the present moment, it's going to take you past 95. I laugh a lot, and I have four boyfriends that keep me going. <laughs> you have four boyfriends, I exclaimed. She said, haven't I told you? Well, every morning I get up with Will Powers. Then I go for a walk with Arthur Ritus. I came home with Charlie Horse. And then I go to bed with my favorite, Ben Gay. Gladys. There is a Gladys in all of us if we would let it go. There is a Gladys in all of us that wants to be free. There is a Gladys in all of us that wants to do the trip of a lifetime by living fully and out loud, but we hold back. It's done, my friends. 
You're not holding back any longer. You are religious scientists. A religious scientist knows that when you change your thinking, you change your life. A good religious scientist knows that the life that you desire is the life you will have if you bring your emotion and love to it. The universe will take care of the rest. So good morning, Gladys. Good morning to all of you. Because living your best life is your most important journey in life. It's the only thing you've been given to do. Do it. Do it. If you want something you've never had, then you have to go and do something you have never done before. That's right. You have to get out of your comfort zone. Our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, quoted scripture and commented about it. He said, St. Paul said, it is high time to awake out of sleep. So let us wake up and let us be certain that we no longer drug ourselves with the sleepy potion of fear and uncertainty and doubt, but awake into faith and confidence, into peace and joy, into love and happiness. For we are on the trip of a lifetime when we open up and say yes to the unlimited spirit within us. There is no trip to look forward to. The trip is already within. You're supposed to be on a trip. With all the adventures, with all the mystery, with all the unfolding of the people you will meet, with all the glorious things that you'll get to see and smell and taste and do. My friends, that is the trip we're supposed to be on. Does it match yours? Does it match? And if not, why not? One day, it just clicks. You realize what's important and what isn't. You learn to care less about what other people think of you and more about what you think of yourself. You realize how far you've come and you remember when you thought things were such a mess and that they would never recover. And you smile. And you smile because you are truly proud of yourself and the person you have fought to become. Click in, people. Click in. It's all part of the trip. The small stuff is nothing but dandruff. It's all it is. And when you focus on it, it will become larger than life. But when you let it go, and you focus on who you really are and stand in the security of the life that you have been given, it all changes. How cool it is that the same God who created mountains and oceans and galaxies looked at you and thought, hmm, the world needed one of you too. Don't skip on the world you're supposed to engage in. Reach out. Read this with me. This is not your practice life. There's nothing to practice. There are only three things to do. Let go of your insecurity and stand in the divine knowing of who you are. Do not save yourself. Give yourself away. Live fully. And last but not least, for God's sakes, click in like Gladys. Click in.
let go and take your trip of a lifetime, which is now. Pray with me. Ah, there is such a power in the universe called the great I am. That divine power that is constantly permeating greatness, security, love, power, peace. And that presence is present right here at this moment. That God breath that is breathing each and every one of us this day. For there is nothing but God that whispers into our ears this day, you are my beloved child, I have made you in perfection, live. What I know is that the God presence that I am speaking of, I am one with. It is breathing me at this moment. It is found in every cell of my being. It is found in the experience called cancer. It is found in the experience called love. It is found in the presence of this community, CSL Colorado Springs. And I know that each and every one of us are dancing in this one powerful presence we call life. The God life that wishes to express uniquely as us. What I claim and know for us this day is we let go of insecurity. We let go of comparison. And we stand in the unique presence of who we are, knowing that that God breath has already breathed into us everything that we need. That there is no need for comparison. There is need to stand in the divine assurance that we are perfect, whole, and complete just as we are. I claim that for us this day. And so I release anything that is unlike it. And I call forth the experience of life to step forward, to step in that divine knowing that we can move forward in a powerful presence. I claim that for us. I claim it for our world. I remove all fear. I remove all insecurity. And I call in the trip of a lifetime, the gift of life given to us at this moment. I am in such gratitude that we have the power to change our mind. I say, thank you, Spirit. I'm in such gratitude for the powerful life that we all have been given to live fully and express fully as the godness of who we are. I say, thank you, Spirit. So I simply release this unto the universal law because I know the minute I have spoken my word, the trip of the lifetime is unleashed. We step forward and we allow it to unfold with great joy, with great adventure, great prosperity, and great love. And so for all of this, I simply say, thank you, Spirit. And with one voice, we sing and we affirm together. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has his being. I am the place where God shows up. where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. Play.
so it is. This is the time where we get to unleash our prosperity without fear, but rather with great joy in knowing how it circulates. So I invite you to take your tithe and your gift in your hand. I invite those who are part of our virtual audience to join in this great circulation by donating as well. So I invite you to take your tithe and your gift, place it over your heart, and let us pray our affirmation together. I joyfully celebrate the flow of God through me. I am grateful for receiving and giving to my spiritual community. I give thanks, always knowing God is my source, and so it is.